Good morning and welcome to Garden City Church Resurrection Sunday. So good to be together. Uh, typically throughout uh, Christian history on Easter Sunday, there's been this greeting that has been customary. And the greeting is uh, one person will say, he is risen. And then another person will say, he is risen indeed. Well, this morning we're going to change that. Is that okay? Some traditions are very good. We're just going to change it for this morning. We'll go back to it next year. But uh, here's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I'm going to say, he is risen. And what you're going to say in response is, we are risen indeed. That make sense? We, instead of just he, it's we. And and then a couple different times uh, through uh, our time together this morning, I'm going to ask you to engage me with that again. I'll say, he is risen. And you will say, we are risen indeed. Okay, so that will make sense in just a little bit. But thank you for coming and spending Easter Sunday with us. We are so excited to be here together. If you want to follow along, we'll be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a couple of stories here. Um, but to get us thinking about the stories, there's three stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15 that are all about lost things. Anybody in the room ever lost anything of great value? Anybody? Anytime you lose something of great value, it's hard to stop thinking about wanting to find that thing. The uh, most recent um, loss of a valuable thing that happened in our family was about 11 years ago. We were moving from the house that we had moved out of. We were moving into the house that we now are in. And somewhere between the old house and the new house, um, somewhere Megan took off her ring because it was growing uh, to be uncomfortable on her finger. When I say ring, I mean her wedding ring which was at that time the second most uh, costly thing I'd ever purchased in my life. And so Megan took it off at some point and then went to put it back on her ring and could not find it. And that uh, was 11 years ago. We still, we still haven't found it, but we are, we are hopeful that maybe someday... No, we're not. It's gone. I don't know. It's, go- it's just, I don't know where it is, but it, it's gone. But immediately after you lose something of great value, it's hard to think about anything else. You just want to find the thing that you lost. And so I, I want to look real briefly at the first two stories that Jesus tells of lost things. And I want us to see a pattern here that then we're going to apply to the third story. I think this will be very interesting. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 4, Jesus launches into the first story of lost things. He says, he says to his listeners, what, what man or person of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So a shepherd is out tending his sheep. Somewhere along the way, the shepherd is counting his sheep as they would routinely do from time to time. Realizes that there's only 99, which means somewhere between the last time I counted and this time that I counted, there is, uh, and has, there's been a lost sheep. Now, if you've ever lost anything, one of the first pieces of advice that people will give to you, I I receive this when I lose things, is people will say, oh, you lost something, you're looking for it, what you need to do is you need to go retrace your steps. Anybody ever heard that before? Like the last time, think about when you knew you had the thing, and then when you first realized that you didn't have the thing, what were you doing in between? Go back and retrace those steps Because in so doing, you will have a better chance of bumping into the thing that you lost or set down and forgot. Retrace your steps is a grand plan to try to find the thing that you've lost. And so what this shepherd does is he goes back to where he was. He retraces his steps 
back and then he finds the sheep, the one that was lost. And then here's what happens after the sheep has been found. And the shepherd then came home and he called together his friends and his neighbors. And he said to them, friends and neighbors, join me. Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. So there's a lost sheep, there's a retracing of steps, there's a finding of a sheep, and then there's a party. Now let's look at the next story of lost things that Jesus tells. Luke 15 verse 8, Jesus says this, he says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not then light a lamp, sweep the house and diligently search until she finds it? So a woman, at some point in her house, she had her ten coins out. And then somewhere, like, then she realizes, oh, there's only nine here. Like, what do you do? Go back, retrace your steps, go all around the house, uh, overturn everything, sweep everything around, find the coin. This woman retraces her steps, she finds her coin, and then here's what happens in verse 9. After she found it, she then called together her friends and neighbors, friends and neighbors, come gather, come on over, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then now Jesus then gets into next the third story of things that are lost. Now, the interesting thing here is that in um, my um, Bible, this is not like the inspired word of God, but some editor at some point went back and named all the stories. In my Bible, the next story is called the parable of the prodigal son. And last week we talked about this story here and we called it the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually not true. We should retitle this to the parable of the lost son because it's the third story in a row of things that were lost and then found. Check this. Um, here's kind of what happens in the story here. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus is telling the story, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them... Then, story goes on, this younger son of the father is going to get himself lost. And I mean like really, really lost. And regarding the other three, all, right, all three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, now the parable of the lost son, each of the lost things in this story that Jesus is telling, we're the lost thing. The lost sheep is you and me. The lost coin is you and me. The lost son is you and me in every story. And then each of the lost things in these stories, they are lost and then they are found and then there is a party, right? And the father who receives back his lost son in the third story of lost things then throws a magnificent party. Now, here's a really interesting thing. When you see three stories in a row that Jesus tells, and they're remarkably similar, and then one of them stands out differently, take notice of that. In the first story, it's the shepherd who retraces his steps to find the lost sheep. The sheep has someone coming to look for it. In the second story, it's the woman who retraces her steps to find the lost coin. The lost coin has someone looking for it. Then when we get to the third story of the lost son, what we see in the story is there is no one to retrace the steps of the lost son and seek to find him. It seems as if, 
as we read this story last week, it seems as if the lost son comes back to the father on his own, all by himself. But that would be to misunderstand and to misread the story of the lost son. I want to argue this morning that just as the lost sheep had someone looking for it, the shepherd, and just as the lost coin had someone, the woman looking for it, so also the lost son has someone looking for him. It's kind of like this. Anybody ever read the book of Esther? Esther is a magnificent story of God's hand in circumstances for the sake of his people. It's like the story twists and turns in like such dramatic ways. You could not write a better Hollywood story that was fiction than Esther, which was a true story. And anyone who reads the book of Esther, as you're watching the plots twist and turn and zig and zag, right? Any reader who understands anything about God and his people in the Old Testament knows 100% That God is the one who is twisting and turning that story in magnificent ways. But here's the crazy thing about Esther. You can do it this afternoon and just test me in this. If you read the book of Esther, here's what you will never see written in the book. You will never see, and the Lord did dot, dot, dot. And then God did dot, dot, dot. You will never see God referred to, not even one time, in the whole story of the book of Esther. Now, if we read that, we might think, well, maybe this is pure, Esther is pure happenstance. Maybe all this happened on its own random chance, and the universe somehow on its own was coordinating all of these things, and God was somewhere else doing something else. No, that would be a misreading and a misunderstanding of what the author's intent is in the book of Esther. The author is writing that story about what God did, but not saying anything about God because the author knows and is trying to communicate to his people, hey, you don't always know that God's with you. You don't always, you're not always aware of his presence, but, but, but be, be encouraged. He is always, always moving among us. Book of Esther, you don't see his name. Is he on the move there? Oh, you betcha. He is. Not going to read it, but he's on the move. Similarly, in this third story of lost things, it looks as if there is no one searching after the lost son. It seems as if there's no one who cares enough to retrace the steps of the son who found himself lost. But no, I think what I want to say this morning is indeed, I think there is someone who is retracing his steps. And then the one who is retracing The lost son's steps, which is you and me, finds him, grabs a hold of him, brings him back home, and then the party erupts. So we partied here last week as we went into the parable of the lost son. What we're going to do this week is we're going to party again. Can you guys handle two parties in a row? Is that okay? Is that too much? Is that too much fun? Is that too much joy for the house of the Lord, right? It can't be too much because we're going to do it. We're, this ends in a party. That's where we're going. Now, here's what I want to say. We know that it was the shepherd that went and found the sheep. It was the woman that found the coin. What I want to say this morning is that there is a lost son in the story of the lost son, but there is also a, we'll call him a, um, an invisible, but yet not so invisible, finding son who is searching and retracing the steps of the lost son 
in order to find him, in order to grab a hold of him, in order to bring him home, in order to have the party erupt. Are you guys ready to contrast the lost son and the finding son who is retracing his steps? Are you ready? And I'll give you a hint. The finding son also has another name. His name's Jesus. Okay, with that in mind, let's go to Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 13. Let's look at, let's look at some retracing of the steps of something that was lost in order to find it. Okay, verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far away country. This is the beginning of the lost son getting really, really lost. And by that I mean his life is going to go in a really, really bad direction. But it's all going to happen in the context of a far away country, right? Lost son leaves his father, goes to a faraway country. Now the finding son, Jesus, is also, in retracing these steps, he's also going to leave his father and he's going to take a journey to a very, very faraway country. The lost son took a geographic trip of miles. Jesus takes a geographic trip of dimensional realities and leaves heaven and comes to earth. Merry Christmas. That's a journey, friends. And the finding son, Jesus, takes that same journey as he also leaves his father's presence. What's Jesus doing? He's retracing the steps of that which is and has gone lost. Then the second half of verse 13, we read this. The younger son gathers all he has and goes to a faraway country, leaves the father. And there, here's what the lost son does. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered his property. The lost son, right, all the inheritance that he prematurely and inappropriately asked his father for in the story, he just loses all of it, spends it all. He's out. You want to borrow a nickel from him? He doesn't have, there's nothing left. He has lost and squandered all of his property. Now the finding son regarding his property does it a little bit differently. The finding son also has no property, but the finding son, Jesus, when he left his father to come to a faraway land, what he decided to do is to leave all of his vast properties with his father because he knows that his stuff is his father's stuff And his father's stuff is his stuff, and he knows where his true and appropriate home is. So Jesus also, like the lost son who has nothing, Jesus also, at least here in this faraway country, Jesus has nothing as well. Then, after the lost son has squandered his property, how did he squander it? Well, we're told in verse 13, he squandered it in reckless living. Spent it all in wild disgusting lifestyle kinds of things. Just wrong kind of party going on here. Squanders his property in reckless living. Now the finding son also, right, does it a little bit different. A lot of similarities here. But the finding son engages not in reckless living, but we'll call it righteous living. But not just righteous living like, wow, that's pretty good. Like righteous meaning that that we've never seen a life like this before. We've never seen anyone walk the earth and engage in human beings with relationship who has lived this well. He lived righteous and beautiful. He lived perfectly. That's what the finding son Jesus did. 
Lost son did reckless, Jesus does righteous. But they're both away from the father in the foreign land and they've got nothing, everything is gone, right? Verse 14, and when he, the lost son, had spent everything, so the lost son spends it all, right? Resources are gone. The finding son, a little bit different, also spends everything. But in this way, the finding son, uh, his blood would be totally and absolutely poured out, totally spent. The finding son would uh, spend all of his breaths retracing the steps of the lost son in the foreign land away from the father, his breath spent to the end. The finding son uh, would spend literally all of his life. It would be poured out and then gone, 100% spent nothing left in the finding son and he did this on the cross right we gathered here on good friday and we celebrated the finding son jesus who came and spent everything on our behalf then the lost son after the lost son has spent everything the lost son hits what we refer to as rock bottom he gets to a deep dark desperate Place. He comes to the end of himself in a deep, dark, desperate place. In the finding son, Jesus also then, after the sum total of his decisions, finds himself in a deep, dark, desperate place. As his body is taken off of the cross and he's laid in a tomb. What, what is more deep, dark, and desperate than a tomb? Both sons' decisions leading them to deep, dark, desperate places. But they're very different, aren't they? But they're remarkably the same as well. One son retracing the steps of the other on the hunt, trying to find that which was lost. But you're not going to see his name in the story, friends. Book of Esther, you're not going to see God's name. Well, but I I think we see it, don't we? In verse 17, the lost son, when he gets to the end of himself in the deep, dark, desperate place. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, meaning when he came to his senses, the lost son says, what am I doing here? This is a deep, dark, desperate place. I ought not be here any longer. And then, and catch this, friends, this is one of my favorite parts of the morning right here. The finding son also comes to himself in the deep, dark, desperate place. Any Trinitarian friends in the house, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three, but they are one. So, follow me here, Jesus came to himself in the deep, dark, desperate place. The Spirit of God is also referred to as the Spirit of Jesus, And the Holy Spirit of Jesus invades the tomb where Jesus is in the deep, dark, desperate place. And very quite literally, Jesus comes to himself 
in the tomb and something begins to happen and like something begins to shake as the spirit of Jesus invades the tomb as Jesus comes to himself what is Jesus doing here he is retracing our steps and it's at this point that the story begins to dramatically shift and so now I was telling you the story with the lost son first and then mirroring um, with the finding son and how that is a mirror image, albeit very differently. Now, at this point, we've got to shift the order and now we've got to start with the finding son because he's become priority. We didn't see his name written in the passage, but we clearly know now that he's the centerpiece and the lost son is there, but he's not the main character in the story any longer. He's the second most important character now. Now, here's where we pick this up. Now, the finding son, after he came to himself in the tomb, says, now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise. And I am going to go back to my father. Because that's my home, and that's where I belong. And as the song goes, resurrection morning, right? Here it is. Then bursting forth in glorious day, Up from the grave, he rose again. And what the risen one does is he calls us to arise with him. Meaning this, that for any of us who find ourselves in a deep, dark, desperate place, because the story of the lost son is all of our stories, Anyone who finds themselves in a deep, dark, desperate place, we can't get out on our own. We need someone who has the ability to arise, the power to arise, and the presence that is different than us, that has a rising power to say to us, arise. We're dependent on someone or something outside of us. Like in Luke 7, where the widow's son had died, then... The risen one, the finding son, Jesus says to the dead widow's son, what? Arise! Arise from this deep, dark, desperate place that you find yourself in. And the widow's son rises. On his own power, the widow's son would have stayed in the deep, dark, desperate place. But the one who has resurrection power says to him, arise. Similar to John chapter 5. There was a paralytic who had been paralyzed for 38 years. We'll call it a deep, dark, desperate place. And then the finding son who said, I will arise, who has resurrection power, says to him, arise, pick up your mat, and now you may freely walk home. Only the arising one has the power to do that. Similar in Mark chapter 5. Jairus' daughter has died. She is in a deep, dark, desperate place. And the risen one, the one who arises and has that power after he comes to himself, says to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she does. And she pulls out of the deep, dark, desperate place. Now, I said to you early on that I'm going to ask you from time to time to follow me. When I say he has risen, you must respond by saying, we have risen indeed. So let's practice that right now. 
He has risen. Yes, the widow's son has risen indeed. The paralytic has risen indeed. And Jairus' daughter has risen indeed. But we need some help from the rising one to help us do that. Now that we've gotten the order finally right, the finding son who is the one with rising power, now let's go back to the lost son. Verse 18. After the lost son comes to himself, right? here's what we read. He comes to himself and then says, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. Verse 20, and he arose from the deep, dark, desperate place and he began to move to his father. He has risen. We have risen indeed. Jesus isn't just rising for himself. Do we see it? Do we see it? God's name isn't written in the parable of the lost son. Do we see it? Yes. Yes. And then together. In the story, it reads as if just the lost son is arising on his own and just making his way back to the father. No, we're missing the picture. The picture here is that the finding son who has resurrection power is now walking back hand in hand with the lost son and they're walking back to the father together. And when they get back to the father, then the father says, Woohoo! Party time! My son is back. Which son is the father referring to? The lost son or the finding son? They both went to a faraway country. They both like left all their property and they didn't have anything left. They both spent everything. They were both in a deep, dark, desperate place. Both of them came to themselves. Both of them arose. Which one is the father celebrating with the party? The answer is both. 100% both. We're celebrating the lost son that's found. We're also celebrating the finding son who did the finding but also returned as he arose and then came to the father. The party is about both. And then the party breaks out. We talked about it last week. The fattened calf is on the spit. We got the band playing. The lights are on. Turn the music up. All the friends and family are invited. And dancing and singing breaks out. Why? Because the finding son did the finding. He retraced the steps. He found the lost one and he brought him, us, home. He has risen. We have risen indeed. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing a couple more songs. But before we do, I have one more story to tell us. One more. You guys ready? You got one more in you? Okay, and I did a story because we got a big band. It's going to take us a long time to get set up. This way, all right? Anybody remember 1996? Half of us weren't alive, half of us were, right? If you don't remember 1996, it was a fantastic time. Just trust us. Hey, 1996, Atlanta, the Olympics. I had the opportunity to go, and uh, for two weeks, I um, was at the Atlanta Olympics. And one of the things that the... Um, the Olympic Committee did, in addition to putting on all the games that we watched on TV, they, they did something that was never on TV and most people didn't know about it. They, they, they made a center, a place, a, a location, it was a building, they made it for former Olympians to come in to hang out. Because like if you're an Olympian, like that's your life, sports are your life, and like you, 
Like Olympics is your deal, right? And so former Olympians from all over the world were, were going to come back to the Atlanta Games and watch sports, be a part of the spectacle. And the Olympic Committee wanted a place for them to hang out where like the, the best of the best athletes could hang out with, without us lesser people around them, okay? So they literally, like they rented a building, they filled it with couches and food and all sorts of things. And it was like the only way that you could get in to this place was you had to have been a former Olympian. If that's not on your resume, you ain't getting in. Now, here's the deal. I got in. Super cool. Now, most of you are thinking, as you're looking at me, this guy ain't no former Olympian. And to that I say, shame on you for thinking that. I'm offended. You're joking, right? I'm not. I'm not a former Olympian. Um, but yet I got in. So how in the world, right? Honest truth is, if I were to walk into the former Olympian center in the 96 Atlanta Olympic Games, if the person at the door did their job right, they see me at the door and they say, uh, hello, sir, uh, I need to see your resume because this is for only former Olympians, the greatest of the great Olympics, the greatest of the greatest athletes. And I would slide my athletic resume across the table and that person would read it. It wouldn't take them very long, okay? But they would read it and then they would um, probably laugh to themselves. And they would say, uh, sir, this place is not for you. My resume was not sufficient to get me in to the former Olympic hangout center. But I spent the better part of two weeks hanging out there. How did I get in? Short answer, Jesus. Literally, Jesus was my ticket in. What do you mean? Well, the people that were responsible for coordinating this former Olympian center, a couple of them were devout followers of Jesus. And they knew that athletes were coming from all over the world. Many of them were closed countries where you're not allowed to name the name of Jesus. And they thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get some followers of Jesus who don't have the resume necessarily to get into the place, if we could get some followers of Jesus in here to get to know and to befriend, come alongside, have conversation with these athletes, wouldn't that be a great thing? And so every other person that walked in had to get in with their resume. I walked in and said, I'm here with Jesus. They're like, come on in. Welcome to the former Olympic festivities. Welcome to the party. In the same way, Here's what I would love for us to see. That when the finding son arose from the grave and went back to his father, he went back with a resume. He had a resume intact, as did we. And they were very different resumes. The risen one had a resume and the first line says, the true son of the father. And the next line says, who obedient to the father left and went to a far far, far away country. That's what he did. While he was there, he engaged in righteous living. Unlike anything the world had ever seen, it was magnificent how he lived. And while he was there, they nailed him to a cross and he spent it all, all of his blood, all of his breath, all of his life. He poured out everything and nothing, nothing left. That's his resume. And then, in the tomb, the deep, dark, desperate place, he came to himself. And he said, here's what I will do. I will arise and I will go back to my father. And then Jesus, the finding, resurrected son, shows up before the father. And he says, Father, here I am. And we're stuck here with our resume. Oh, dang, it's like Brian being at the former Olympian Center. How's Brian going to get in? 
He doesn't belong here. Doesn't have the resume to make it in. That's an uncomfortable moment, friends. But you know what Jesus does? He says, Father, disregard their resume. Because our, our stories are essentially the same. Because remember, I retraced their steps. Everything they did, I did. And Jesus says, regarding their resume, throw that out. He says, Father, look at mine. Don't look at their resume. Look at mine. They are with me. That's you and that's me. And then the Father looks at Jesus' resume and the Father says, they're with you? And Jesus says, yeah. And then the Father says, right, party time. Woo, let's do this. And the party breaks out. Is it for the Son, Jesus? Yes. Is it also for us? Yes. Because we, we're in this thing together. Because the finding Son brings us home. One last time, friends, let's do this right. I'm going to say, He has risen, and then we're all together going to say, We have risen indeed, because there's no other way for us to get into the party. Are we ready? And then we're going to sit with, we're going to party, or we're going to sing. He has risen. Amen. Amen.